Hello, and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. I'm your host, Jesse Nussman. On the other line, reversing backwards in time, is is Film Inquiry writer Jake Tropola. Jake, hey, I'm, Jesse. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. I've been meaning to have you on for a while. Well, thank you. I greatly appreciate that. I'm uh, I'm very happy to be here, and I'm I'm happy that you uh, you invited me on. This is a good time. Yeah. So for this week's episode, we're, we're kind of and we kind of are and kind of aren't talking about something that's the latest. Um, we're talking about Christopher Nolan's new movie Tenet, mm-hmm. which I would say was one of the more hotly anticipated releases of the year, and came out uh over the summer, kind of late August, early October, or Late around September, I believe, is when it came out. It kind of depended on which market you were in and what country. But due to the coronavirus pandemic, a lot of people didn't see this movie. Um, and now it is available to view safely in your home. So mm-hmm. this kind of feels like the opening weekend to Tenet, even though it got this sort of weird theatrical release over the summer. Um, Jake, I know you and I both saw this movie. Um kind of shortly after it came out uh both in drive-in theaters by looking at your letterbox um what what are kind of your thoughts on the movie and did you get a chance to revisit it now that it is available for um rental or buying in your home yeah so um i saw it around uh i forgot the date that i logged this on my letterbox but it was right after i watched it sometime uh, as you said earlier this year I do know it was supposed to be a uh, a July release. Um, Nolan usually commandeers the third week of July. Has been his uh, his his mo for, uh, basically since uh, since like the Dark Knight came out. Um, and uh, so I saw it and uh, was not a fan when it was released in September and available to watch in some form. Um, I I had a lot of uh, issues with the film. I think. Uh, sound mixing continues to be a problem that uh eludes uh Christopher Nolan um it's, he, it's... he has to hear differently than other people i'm convinced of that at this point that he just like hears the wor- world in a totally different way cuz i i do have to kind of interject and say watching this with subtitles was just like a like revelation in, yeah. in difference yeah. from seeing it at at a drive in yeah, so just to just to jump ahead, I did get a chance to revisit this film. I watched it um, on Amazon Prime. I actually now own the movie digitally, and I did watch it with subtitles a couple nights before we recorded this. And uh, Nolan has—he was one of the directors of 2020 who's kind of been at the forefront of proceeding with uh, theatrical releases for everything, despite the fact that we're in a global pandemic and social distancing states that we cannot have. Uh, movie theaters open because then it would just become a hazard and people would catch the coronavirus and get sick and die. And uh, despite, you know, looking forward to a lot of releases, I I am more than willing to make peace with the fact that I'm not going to risk my life to right. see a movie, um, Christopher Nolan or otherwise. Uh, so, um, but watching it with, uh, watching it the first time, I was not a fan of the movie because not only is sound mixing an issue for Nolan's films, but um, he's been on this 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 gear as of late where his movies are just so propulsive and nonstop that if you miss something, 
um, you're lost. Uh, and that is especially problematic with a film like this. And I think this and Interstellar, which both go over two and a half hours, uh, they're these high concept sci-fi action films that uh, if, if you do not keep up with the amount of exposition that is doled out at a heartbreak pace, um, then you will, uh, or a breakneck pace, you will not, uh, you'll be lost. And I think the movie suffers from that. Um, now, uh, knowing the gist of it and seeing it a couple nights ago, uh, just in regular home on my, on my four, my 4k TV with the subtitles on, uh, I actually found that I enjoyed it a lot more and I think maybe the movie might actually be good. Um, but, uh, I was just sitting there wondering, is the theatrical market, the one thing that Christopher Nolan champions more than anything else is, are his films even right for that? Yeah, I, it's an interesting question. And I mean, I, I kind of cannot help but think of the sort of weird release strategy of this movie kind of having some sort of effect on the, the decision to, put Warner Brothers entire 2021 slate on mm. HBO Max which I know he has been very vocal about <laughs> not liking at all and sort of threatening to end his relationship with Warner Brothers which you know bold strategy cotton let's see how that works out um yeah <laughs> but I, yeah I I agree with you I still have a lot of problems with this movie um which I think we can definitely get into and if if you haven't seen Tenet we're, we're going to just spoil Tenet in whatever way that we can possibly spoil this movie because it is very very complicated but um like you i i i enjoyed the the bits of it that i i rewatched this morning a lot more um kind of removed from that theatrical experience and was able I, I, it's hard for me to kind of fathom how much of it is seeing this movie it, it's just the difference in environments that i saw it in versus um kind of knowing the full picture of the movie and reading all of these uh, kind of in-depth pieces, kind of explaining the concepts of it and having a much better idea of, I think, the shape that the movie takes and this kind of circular structure that it has. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely found it a little bit more inter entertaining, at least, as the kind of big, ambitious project by a, a, a kind of auteur filmmaker that doesn't totally work but you're you're a little just sort of like amazed and entertained that they're kind of going for these like ridiculous heights that like no one's really gonna follow them <laughs> all the way to um and and that to me those are the kinds of movies that i have the most fun talking to people about which is why i was so um so ecstatic about having a, an episode about this movie because it it is a very strange blank check project for Christopher Nolan. And I think is the Christopher Nolan experience kind of dialed up to 11. Right. And to some extent, that's really, really fun. And to some extent, uh, I think he kind of leaves his audience behind. I, I'm a bit of a Nolan skeptic at heart. What What's kind of your relationship with him as a filmmaker? Yeah, there's, that's kind of how I am too. Um, I, I don't, proclaim him to be our best filmmaker currently working uh nor do i think i ever will um i do enjoy a lot of his films though i think uh for me personally my favorite film of his is the prestige um because there is a uh not just a level of craft but also 
uh, a lot of like charm and humanity in that film. And um, that's 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 often a, a complaint lobbied at Nolan is that uh, his films are, you know, they're very well constructed, uh, but they're cold to the touch. And so much so that like in Interstellar, he had to have a, a robot character who has a, a humor function that he could turn on and then it control the percentage of how funny he wanted to be in a given scene, um, which is asinine. Uh, but um <laughs> Uh, but but yeah, I I uh, I'm a Nolan. I remain a Nolan skeptic. I I think he's great at um at creating some nice visuals. Uh, I think you know he's obviously he's a huge proponent of of shooting on film and producing a lot of uh, uh like constructing a lot of um practical effects. Um, I think a lot of that can really pay off. Like the the entire air like air sequences in Dunkirk are stunning. Uh, I kind of wish the whole movie was about that, but mm-hmm. he's he's a very gifted uh, filmmaker. But um, I feel like he 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 seems like he knows he's the smartest guy in the room, and so he's got to go a step further. And it's got to be a, a concept that he comes up with, and so that's why Dunkirk, at least for me, does not completely come together because we have these three timelines, and so you're spending a good majority of the film trying to line everything up. And that's, you know, that's the problem that he has with Interstellar. And that's, uh, I think, the problem that he has with uh, with Tenet is that he, he's got this concept, this this time inversion, which I still am not sure I completely get. But I, I will say I am more comfortable with it than I was when I watched it several months ago. Um, I don't know if, you, if you're you any better at uh, explaining what is going on and when. Um, but yeah, it is... Uh, he does like to play with uh, structures, and uh, I, I just think though that uh, the film—it is a well-made film, but um, yeah, there's there's a lot of apparent flaws. Yeah, I think. Tell me if I'm being crazy here. I I think of Christopher Nolan kind of um, like a prestige Michael Bay. I think for all of the the Kubrick comparisons that I think his most. Um, admiring fans kind of throw at him michael bay is weirdly the the filmmaker that i think he has the most in common with in terms of i think both of those filmmakers want to do these kind of massive spectacle driven action movies and at their best can give you these kind of like visceral sort of jaw-dropping moments of of cinematic pleasure and that's actually kind of why i like a movie like dunkirk and i i'm uh, like you, I'm a little less um, impressed with the the quote kind of mind bending aspect of Christopher Nolan. I, my issue with him sometimes is I feel like he places these very high concept premises on his movies in order to sort of elevate them in some ways. But I almost wish he would just do the sort of straight genre version of them. Um, right. I have a less of a problem with Dunkirk, if only because I think the kind of complex structure that movie has is just simply organizational and I, I i can kind of just buy into these are just three separate timelines and i'm not quite looking for how they connect to each other um but that movie is sort of him just doing pure spectacle and that is kind of thrilling to me i i think right. even his second batman movie the dark knight um as much as the like last 30 minutes of them i don't know when the last time you watched that movie but the last 30 minutes of that movie are pretty um terrible but yeah most of that movie i think works because he is just doing a straight action movie and i think he's a really great he's become a better action filmmaker as he's 
developed as an artist. And I think part of my frustration going out of Tenet the first time I saw it, and even still a little bit now, is just wishing he kind of made a James Bond or like a Mission Impossible movie. Or what? what is just the... Um, this Christopher Nolan globetrotting spy movie without time inversion and these very high concept sci-fi premises put on it. Um, yeah, I, as you... far as do, do I understand inversion? I think that's something interesting for us to talk about in a bit. Cause I actually think the biggest problem in this movie is that, and he even admitted this in, in, I believe it was him or maybe it was someone else who worked on the movie admitted before it came out that like inversion as a concept, which I guess the closest way I would uh, explain it is they are objects and people in this movie that are moving forwards in time. And there are objects and people in this movie who are moving backwards in time. Mm -hmm. um, and he described it in an interview before the movie came out as being something that makes sense cinematically but when you have to explain it to someone it's it's very very complicated and it kind of melts your brain and i i'm i'm a little bit baffled at the amount of exposition in this movie and the amount of exposition specifically targeted towards explaining inversion to the audience when i actually think the moments of the movie where i I'm kind of able to understand what's going on or when I see it play out visually, you know, when I see the kind of turn dial machine that kind of will yeah. invert an object, if it goes through it. I remember when I saw it at the drive-in just being like, Oh, I get it now. It, it like makes sense. And it, I, my head has been hurting trying to figure this out, but like, I, I understand what's going on. And when you see how the world, how um, John David Washington's character views the world, when he goes through that machine that I think is a better explanation than some of these long monologues of characters trying to explain these various sort of uh, physics com concepts to each other. And that I think kind of ties the movie down when I think he can explain stuff better visually, but I think he instinctively keeps sort of falling back onto like, no, I need to like stand in front of a whiteboard and like, give a lecture on what all this stuff is yeah. um I, I don't know what am i sounding crazy by uh feeling that way about the movie yeah no it is it is interesting to see the inversion stuff play out um but it's it's actually really early on in the film that we kind of uh aside from the opening which is sort of a a, a teaser for or for like you know pay, like pay attention to this moment where the the bullet flies backwards out of the chair and he sees the red tag on the the unknown mm -hmm. soldier who helped him. That's supposed to be something we're supposed to care about later. Um, but like about 10 minutes in, he uh, infiltrates that uh, facility where uh, I believe it's Melanie Laurent is the scientist. Um, and sh they go through inversion together. Um, she's showing him the gun and the bullets. Um, and the, the key line here, which is, you know, what you know, people have sort of lobbed onto is like, you know, you can give or take this movie based on this line is that, uh don't try to understand it just feel it um so the act of you're not firing a gun uh out of a or firing a bullet out of a gun you're catching the bullet into the gun um but i i it's it just it's sort of it defies human understanding because we're not used to seeing uh 
effect come before cause. Right. And, and so, so I still have a hard time thinking like, cause then they start playing with the bullet on the table and the bullet flies up into his hand. And I guess he has to somehow predict that he was going to drop the bullet at that time or act like it. It's, it, it's, yeah, it's, I'm, it's I'm with a, you. I'm, I get more confused when it's an, an object in motion as opposed to like later in the movie when it's, when it's people in motion, yeah. I'm able to kind of follow it pretty quickly. But like, it, yeah, I totally agree. Like rewatching that scene, I'm like, wait, what? Like the, How, the, the object, yeah. <laughs> he can choose, he can like change the object's trajectory by like imagining that he actually dropped it. And yeah, I, I, I think that's a moment in, uh, I'll let you get back to your point, but I, I did, I'm similar to you like that moment kind of like, made me do a double take again this morning when i rewatched it like wait 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 wait. it this makes sense when it's people going backwards but now when it's objects and a person going forward can affect the trajectory of something going backward that's where i'm getting a little lost yeah uh and there's a there's a whole set piece in this film like about 90 minutes in we kind of get a rundown of what living life in the inverted world is like like you have to wear a gas mask or be in a special room because uh oxygen cannot take inverted your your lungs cannot take inverted oxygen in the plane that you're on um so yeah i understand there's a the seek the first sequence where we encounter the turnstiles uh it's robert pattinson is in one half of the room uh washington is in the other and the turnstile opens, and then this um, this soldier pops out in like full riot gear, and he's moving forward regularly in the Robert Pattinson half, but uh, he's inverted in the John David Washington half, and so they have this fight scene where it's a, it's a guy moving forward fighting a guy moving backwards, which is um, I mean it's again it's cool to see, but. I, I you're you're wondering like okay so now they're like flipping over each other and stuff and like is i, I it's it's where the two interact uh, that that like with the objects it's what it, what confuses me the most it's like how how do you know to do this if it hasn't happened yet and there's another adage that just keeps being repeated throughout the film they say what's happened has happened so uh i i, I don't know it's it's it, the interactions and and the sort of like the the reflex and predictions that go into handling and, and moving these objects uh, it still just uh, continues to escape me. I'm, I'm not sure I can, if, if I can't understand it, then I, I don't know if I, I ever will. But yeah, uh, I, I think, I think how I've been sort of processing it is like both directions are affecting each other and I'm sort of thinking about it as a, uh, you know, the, the, the climax of this movie, which I definitely want to talk briefly about. Cause I think as a, beat of action filmmaking it's a it's a little bit of a failure but mm-hmm. um you know that the uh, essentially reading all of these kind of explainer pieces online about that climax i i think the where i come to understand it is just sort of like almost like a circle like i i don't know where one where the cause it begins and where the effect ends and it just sort of like everything going in both motions is just always affecting one another and no one person or thing is sort of like making the decision to affect the other. Yeah. Um, before we get too much into those weeds, I have to ask, I, I think it's interesting you bringing up the, the bit of dialogue um, towards the beginning of the movie the, around the bullet um, where the scientist character says, uh, don't 
don't think about it just feel it right and that's kind of been the piece of dialogue that you know this is a pretty divisive movie i would say thus far and i yeah. think that piece of dialogue fits into what which side of that divisive reaction people are falling on which is does christopher nolan expect you as an audience to follow everything that's going on and i'm, I'm curious to get your um response to that because i think the people i've heard from who really like this movie are like that's a cue for the audience of like don't try and understand any of this just roll with it like it's it's just like a fun dumb action movie and just roll with it um whereas i think kind of like you and i and some of the people who are, i think are a, a little bit lukewarm to i think sour on the movie are sort of like Christopher Nolan is in this aggressive like chess match with my mind and is I am supposed to fully understand everything that's going on or the idea is Christopher Nolan is like I am smarter than the audience but they're gonna have to go back and like watch this several times or do these kind of like deep dives online and put together diagrams in order to understand the the brilliance of what I've constructed like like complexity equaling um kind of depth which i don't necessarily believe is true yeah. um and is a bit of the problem i have with something like i don't know the the show westworld which i actively hate <laughs> and i yeah and, I, I bailed on that after the first season yeah and i think my sort of frustration with that show is it feeling like just construction but that the sort of mm -hmm. personality and people at its center are sort of secondary to it, it is only a show that exists to be kind of uh broken apart on reddit boards and kind mm -hmm. of explained as this giant puzzle piece but the act of watching it is a little maddening because so much is kept kind of hidden and shrouded from you because you have to take it, it's meant to be broken down later um i i don't what what's your kind of opinion on whether or not nolan is expecting this to be just like fun, dumb entertainment, or I've created this master puzzle for you to solve. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely uh, a puzzle that he wants um, your, your audience to engage with. And I think this is, you compared him to like, as Michael Bay, as these two auteur who basically have uh, unlimited resources to make whatever they want. Um, the thing is that Michael Bay is, he's a very, um, he he's he's catering to an audience that is not maybe not the brightest uh sorry to say but uh he it's, knows just it's, to... it's juvenile i think even yeah. he would admit like his his aesthetic is very juvenile exactly yeah it's it's loud noises it's macho men it's robots destroying each other it's like girls in bikinis leaning over cars you know that's his that's his speed that's what he makes fine um nolan is definitely like he spent i think years writing this tenant script and he, so he's he's uh, putting a lot of effort into making a puzzle that you're not going to uh, figure out on your first go. Uh, I don't know if he's actively encouraging people to go on Reddit boards or make like those explained videos on YouTube, um, which drive me up the wall. But um, I'm glad I, uh, we both yeah, agree on that yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't think, uh, I, yeah, I don't think getting a movie like this is makes you any better as a viewer as it does making him a good filmmaker. And I, I want to echo something you said earlier. I do want to see just like the, the slickly crafted spy thriller, a la 
uh, we're going to make comparisons like, you know, he's always emulating Bond in his work. But um, also, this feels like a very much like a Mission Impossible movie. But I enjoy Mission Impossible so much more uh, than this. Um, Fallout is... Uh, and that's that movie is just moving forward it doesn't go backwards at all it's but it's that uh, they're both propulsive in their own way um nolan has to just stop and dole out uh like 10 pages of dialogue to explain okay now this is happening for this reason now you have to do this you can't breathe here you got to do this um and and nothing is seldom repeated except for the thematic lines like what's happened happened or uh, why are you doing this? Posterity. Keep people keep saying posterity in this movie because it's it's happened, so they got to make sure that it it's fulfilled. Um, but yeah, I I I do think that uh, Nolan is is uh, definitely crafting a puzzle, and that's it's sort of his his interest in 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 film, and that's that's kind of why again he has he introduces the three timelines in Dunkirk because he can't he is incapable of producing a straightforward uh just world war ii movie that is like a a visual um masterpiece it's it's got to have this element to it and he has to show his work and and so not only do you have to like figure it out on your own he has to be like oh my god he was right all along there's this 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 so um we mentioned the we keep alluding to the the climax of this movie, and I don't think we're 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 doing it a disservice just by calling it the climax. Jesse, we have to call it its proper name, which is a this is a, a temporal pincer movement that we have that we're dealing with. Um, and let's let's roll out the whiteboard, everybody. Come on, <laughs> wheel it into the room. <laughs> I have so many questions. Okay, so the the whole the whole film hinges on the fact that in the future, some unknown forces have have basically made inversion possible and they've sent uh people and data back in time uh to the present and even before then like like basically they they're using um what is it kenneth Branagh's character is like their conduit in our like basically what is our like known contemporary time i guess you could say they're using him to carry out their mission uh, basically, the the future, I guess, we're, we're to understand that it, the world is just so messed up beyond repair. They're using the past to destroy the world by basically inverting enough of it with this uh, this time bomb that they're placing in these uh, Russian ruins. I, I don't, I do not know if I am if I sound crazy or if any of this is accurate. Um, but in order to basically, in order to stop Kenneth Branagh's character. Um, the team that has the tenant team that has been operating this whole time, they have to do what is called a temporal pincer movement, which means that they have two squads of soldiers. Uh, one squad is moving forward in time. The other squad is moving backwards in time. Now, I, I, okay. So I, I, I'm wondering like how, again, this is a thing that goes back to like your mind can't comprehend uh, effect happening before cause, but like, where do the, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm like a mess of, of speaking here. Um, I, I, I think, I think here, here's a better way that we can discuss this movie. I, I sure. think, or a b- discuss this final sequence. I will say that rewatching the movie and in even seeing it at a drive-in um, the first time, I, I think the set pieces in this movie are really thrilling from my point of view. I mean, there's a, a car chase that happens 
um, and sort of that's sort of the centerpiece of the movie. That some cars are moving forward in time, some are moving backwards in time. Um, right. So one of the I think like most thrilling action set pieces I've seen in the last couple of years. I think just as an action set piece, regardless about whether you understand the the sort of physics behind how the temporal what is it called again the temporal pincer movement <laughs> yes the temporal pincer movement works in this sort of like final military battle that happens at the end of the movie mm-hmm. i think it just kind of fails as an action set piece because you know, all of the characters are kind of in this this riot gear with these masks on everyone kind of looks the same Every, there are two sides that are wearing different bandanas. So you're supposed to be able to tell um, them apart, but you just sort of have these two armies of people that are one moving forward in time, one moving backward in time. They're kind of just colliding to each other and stuff that is like, there's a shot of like a building. Someone explodes the building, but then the building rebuilds itself and then explodes again. Yeah. And it just kind of, I remember watching that and thinking this this is just bad filmmaking. Like this is just like a poorly constructed action set piece. I don't have any clue where different characters are spatially within this entire thing. I kind of know that they're having to get something, this sort of object that's called an algorithm. That's basically just the MacGuffin of the movie. Right. But that's, that's okay. That's yeah. I just don't understand anything that's happening kind of from a basic like action set piece construction point in this movie. It's just sort of like people and objects and noise kind of colliding. It's just sort of like explosions and people running and shooting in random spots. And I don't quite understand the, the stakes or even spatially where like one person is in relation to another. And I think he is able to do great action set pieces in this movie. And I think most of them are, quite thrilling i mean that car chase there's the 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 sequence in the opera house that opens up the movie that i think is pretty great Mm -hmm. and i think he has become a better action filmmaker as he's um progressed as a filmmaker and as he's adopted uh you know the imax technology and um worked with different cinematographers but i don't know i would beyond just like do I understand the physics of the the climax of this movie? Like I, I don't even understand what's going on from a basic, like we need to get to this spot to grab the thing and that'll save the world sort of stuff that you see in like a mission impossible or James Bond movie. Right. Yeah. So the, yeah, the way the temporal pincer movement, I guess is supposed to work um, is that the there's, and this is part of, this is part of my problem with Nolan is that um, he is again, like the smartest guy in the room sure and he'll have these puzzlers of films but then he also has these really like dumb and simple uh components to them uh i guess this is just not to break the audience's brain but yeah they're literally separated into red team and blue team with colored armbands um and the red team is supposed to just go forward in time to assault this building um and meanwhile the blue team is assaulting the building from the future by going backwards and i guess in order to do that the blue team had to sit out the fight to watch it the first time and then once the fight is over then they invert themselves to go back 
to the time before the assault happens so they can tell the red team how what they have already done is it, it, it's like I'm 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 like moments away from getting onto like a, a like a, a cork board with red string and and, <laughs> and explaining how how that again again I guess you're like not really supposed to talk about it in a podcast you're just supposed to feel it but um it's it's yeah it's uh, and and then a lot of the the action itself like yeah there's soldiers running forwards alongside soldiers running backwards and they kind of crisscross. But um, yeah, there's just a, a building that blows up in both timelines that rebuilds depending on what timeline it's in. And then also we don't really see much of the uh, the enemy forces that they're attacking. Um, no. Like, correct, correct me if I'm wrong. There's like nothing really that we see they're shooting at. Like there's there's like one guy in like the basement of the final dungeon that John David Washington fights. Uh, he's just kind of there. But there's there's yeah, there's no real sign of any enemy, which um also something that he did in dunkirk is that we never see like the german soldiers unless it's like they're just in in like one plane in the sky but he makes a point of just not showing like what the the conflict is is towards he has a thing for like just having anonymous henchmen carrying out the bidding of the evil mastermind we're supposed to relate to these heroes but again we don't really get a sense of what it is they're trying to accomplish and when or if they have already accomplished it i don't know I did want to talk to you about kind of the cast and the people in this movie. Um, You know, I, if I'm supposed to take the, you know, the opinion of the people who love this movie and say like, just shut your brain off. It's, it's just meant to be entertainment. I kind of want a little bit more. I, I guess the reason I don't feel that he is taking that position is because the personality of these people is so kind of beside the fact. And look, I, I know you're a huge James Bond fan. I really love the mission impossible movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't want to pretend like those are these like in-depth character pieces, but I think, you know, in a mission impossible movie, you get sort of these moments of personality through um, the different actors. Yes. And I think, you know, Fallout, you bring it up earlier, that's a really good example of a movie that I could not tell you what that movie is about. And I remember walking out of that movie and and telling people the same thing that I've heard a lot of people tell me about Tenet, which is just like, that movie doesn't make any sense and you shouldn't stop and think about anything. But I don't think the people who made that movie really understand it either. And you just sort of go with it and you're hanging out with Tom Cruise and watching him jump out of planes and stuff. And... There is, I think the stuff that I enjoy in Tenet is I see these brief glimpses of, to me, a much more kind of breathlessly fun pop entertainment movie that's basically just like large-scale Miami Vice with <laughs> with Robert Pattinson and John David Washington, which I would kill for. <laughs> like, I think the best moments in the movie, aside from the set pieces, are just letting them kind of bounce off each other. And... Mm-hmm. I think Nolan does their chemistry a disservice by having to sort of like place all of this exposition at their foot. And I almost wish he would just let them cook more and just sort of bounce off each other. Um, Or, you know, a character like Elizabeth Debicki in this movie, who is a wonderful actress. I'm really thrilled to see her play Princess Diana in the next season of The Crown. 
but I think only exists in this movie that there's a very funny letterbox review of this I saw where someone was like, I'm Christopher Nolan. Here's my master class on how to create depth and stakes in character. I'm going to introduce a woman and then make her a mother there. That's it. Um, Elizabeth mm-hmm. Debicki only exists because I feel like he needs some sort of personal stakes in this movie because the idea of just like global destruction is not, isn't just not good enough for an audience, which I don't buy. I mean, like James Bond movies have been made since like the sixties. Like I I think we can kind of roll with just global destruction on the line, as opposed to like a line in this movie where uh, they mention if Kenneth Branagh's plan goes, (laughs) goes forth, then like, everyone on the planet will be annihilated and Elizabeth the Bicky like chimes in to be like, including my son. And it's just sort of like, mm-hmm. I don't, the, yes. the stakes of yeah. global destruction are already big enough. You don't need to have this character that only like would love to have her in the movie. I think she's a wonderful actress, but I just don't think she gets much to do. And I, I do kind of like the Branagh role because Branagh is just like having fun and doing the most like ridiculous Bond villain impersonation that you could imagine. But I, I don't know. I, I wanted, I, I think this movie is really fascinating seeing it a second time as a weird blank check project from a major filmmaker that doesn't quite work. But I think the thing that's keeping it from a great movie for me is I want a little more looseness and a little bit more of that kind of James Bond, Miami Vice fun, if that makes any sense. Uh, absolutely does. Um, and Bond is a very good um, example to bring up. Yes, you, you did mention I am a fan of Bond. Um, I do love the Bond series uh, with a passion. Uh, it's one of my favorite things in the world. Um, but the Bond films are identified by, like the quality of them, at least, they're identified by character and wit and charm uh things like uh action set pieces and uh plot kind of come secondary to those uh first three elements i mentioned um which is not to say that a bond film uh, is bad if it doesn't have those um but uh they're they're not as important i would say to the success of the film um and in fact a lot of the bond films despite the fact that we okay we have our components in play we have the bond there's the bond girl the bond villain a henchman and a plot and the plot is usually hench or a villain does evil thing to take over world in some way bond has to stop him um that's that's it um the the machinations that go behind some of those plots are actually insanely complicated uh i won't you know just like to list as an example like thunderball is this entire like basically the the that movie is about uh stealing two nuclear bombs to hold the world hostage. But the process of stealing those bombs is like the most insanely convoluted thing. It involves plastic surgery, switching out pilots. Uh, there's crashing it at the bottom of the ocean. It's all this stuff. But the thing is that the Bond films just kind of go past those like, okay, yeah, don't worry about how that happens. And the, it's, and the it's yada yada. Exactly. Uh, a Nolan film focuses on all the things that Bond does not, which I think is the the problem with his films. Other than something that I would also like to consider is uh, uh, wasted potential, and I'll get to what I mean by that in a minute. But yeah, the the charm of the Bond films uh, is lost in all of Nolan's films, and 
Um, Miami Vice is another great one you mentioned. Uh, I think Nolan loves uh, Michael Mann. But um, like once you, yeah, yeah, once you like once you see Heat, I mean, you don't need to see The Dark Knight ever again. Just go watch. Right. <laughs> if you you don't need to see Tenet once, you could probably just go watch Black Hat because it's very much another um, analog to that film. What um, was gonna say? I hate hate to interrupt. This is kind sure. of his Black Hat of like <laughs> Black Hat is a movie that I remember seeing in theaters like as a huge Michael Mann fan and was just like yikes, and then like rewatched it over the summer um and was like you know this movie doesn't quite work but I, this is like weirdly interesting of like a, a him like really going for broke but and it doesn't quite work and so i i think tenet as my as christopher nolan's black hat is a really uh interesting comparison yeah i i loved black hat uh the i've only seen it once i saw it in theaters uh, i loved it i thought it was great when it came out um i have not seen it since but just everything i've heard around it since then i'm convinced it's a masterpiece uh i'd need to watch that director's cut which is uh, floating around somewhere but um i i i, I keep like prowling through like the search bar on my my cable tv because it like only airs on fx like once in a blue moon or something just please make it available michael man i'm begging you yeah yeah definitely um but yeah so so a lot of what's great about bond films is what's missing in nolan films so yeah, you don't have any of the charm uh there's like some attempts at wit in tenet but it's it, like it's kind of embarrassingly awful um, one that comes to mind is, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a heist sequence where they have to basically, uh, crash a plane into a hangar, uh, so that, and also dump out its like load of, um, of gold bars onto the runway so that all the, all the distraction is on, is on that part. Meanwhile, they have to go into this, uh, this art, uh, I forget like the name of this, this, it's like an art storage, Freeport. Uh, a Freeport. They have to break into the Freeport to steal a um, a painting that is owned by Branagh's character to prove their allegiance to Devicki. And um, this is also where they find the first turnstile. But um, while they're, uh, they have a guy who's an agent, like uh, he's a, he's placed on the plane uh, and he's just like going through like this really bad improv to distract the guards so they can knock him out. And he's like, He's like, hey, I got these meals here, but uh, there are there's no vegetarian meals. They uh, they said they only wanted uh, the vegetarian meals for the flight, and uh, it's just like, it's I don't know. It's just like the the Nolan humor is not it's not as finely tuned as like maybe his uh, his structuring. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you what do you think? Or like when when uh, John David Washington. By the way, we haven't even mentioned that he doesn't have a name in this movie. He's just called the protagonist. I don't know if you remember the the marketing in the film, but the the trailers oh. all said it's time for a new type of protagonist. But he's he's literally, and it's not just that he's not even named in the film. They he refers to himself as the protagonist in the film, and anybody he comes into conflict with, he calls the antagonist. Um, it's stupid. But um, sorry, what did you what do you think of the humor in Tenet? Um, I I think it kind of I like you said I don't know. Humor and Christopher Nolan don't really mesh. And I can think of also jokes in like um, some of his Batman movies, which which are very heavily influenced by James Bond movies. Mm -hmm. um, and the jokes in those movies feel very hit and miss. And it kind of depends on the actor delivering them. You know, like if Michael Caine gives a little 
sort of like backhanded comment or sort of wisecrack, then yeah, it's kind of funny. But there's also plenty of other moments when he gives uh, like Batman a little <laughs> kind of wisecrack and it's just like you're just sort of watching it like, was that a joke? Um, and I, I, I agree with you. I think it kind of depends on the actor in this movie. Pattinson is sort of the person who both times I've seen it, um, I've really loved and is like, this is the, the person who's who's firing on the level that I wish the rest of this movie was of he is clearly having a ball. And from every interview I've seen or read mm-hmm. of him on this movie, he's like, yeah, I don't I don't really understand what was happening. It's just like I just showed up to set and was just like having a ball. And and you feel that. And he kind of has that effortless kind of laid back um, energy. And I, I think there's moments where john david washington is able to let that come out a little bit um Mm -hmm. you know he he is a very charismatic presence and i was excited to see someone like him you know someone that has so much of the charisma of his father uh kind of in christopher nolan's very um i don't know just very like dark and serious tone and that seemed to to push up against that but mm-hmm. i i i get none of the the charisma that he brings to black Klansman, for example or to yeah i don't i don't uh, the the couple episodes i've seen of that show ballers that was on hbo that he was on and you know you watch him in either of those things and you're like that's denzel's son <laughs> that's the second coming of denzel washington right there and i i wish that he had gotten a little bit more room to sort of play around with that that sense of humor um yeah i i i guess i just think it it works in some people in this movie and it doesn't work with other actors and i I think the one person it really works for is pattinson because he he is just kind of like (laughs) tagging along and just sort of rolling with the punches and gets to be the like han solo of the movie if that makes sense I, I agree. Pattinson is the best thing about this movie, and I, I kind of wish it was about him because we ultimately find he's got the most interesting role in how this is all playing out. Um, but yeah, it's 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 weird that because I also consider John David Washington to be a very gifted actor, and I think he's excellent in Black Klansman, which is a film I like very much. Um, but yeah, his his sort of uh, his just his natural charisma does not really gel with uh, Nolan's like steely uh, sensibilities and um, as a, like a, a, an alternative to that is a movie I love called Deja Vu, which was directed by Tony Scott. And that's, that's, which is, which is weird because it also feels like it's a, it's like a meld of Nolan and Michael Bay. And you have Denzel at the, at the helm of that film. Uh, as the lead and it's a very much a a high concept sci-fi film that would not feel alien to a christopher nolan movie but it just works so much better than tenet does um have you seen deja vu i have a long time ago and i'm i'm giddy that you brought it up because that is what i was kind of thinking about the second time i watched it um it especially just you know the denzel is the star of that movie and that evolution to john david washington and that being another like pretty convoluted, crazy high concept action movie. But that movie is also, which Tony Scott directed is, is, is also like not, is not focused on you being able to follow every single little development 
in yeah. in its plot and is just sort of it its primary focus is like Denzel Washington charismatic movie star and really cool action premise and just make like a kick-ass action movie with an awesome movie star and the uh, it, it, just getting back to I think the moments in Tenet I enjoy the most are when I see that version of this movie kind of seep through the cracks but then yeah. whenever it inevitably has to get back to the Christopher Nolan whiteboard high concept puzzle movie I I get less in, interested and I just want that kind of pure dumb action movie pleasure if that makes sense yeah yeah there's a there's a sequence in deja vu uh which is probably rivals anything nolan has done where um they're they're using footage from the past that they've captured through this time portal um to basically construct this elaborate car chase where denzel is driving in a car in the present but he's using this uh like a virtual reality headset which sounds goofy, but it's it works so well. And he's like chasing this of a car he cannot see by going on the same route that it took. It's it's a very it's a very stunning uh, set piece. I highly recommend it. Um, but one thing I wanted to get into with um, uh, with Nolan, um, uh, which kind of makes me not want to embrace him fully, or what prevents me from embracing him, is that I feel like he introduces a concept, and then I have an idea of where that concept should go but then Nolan takes it to like a different level entirely. Um, not like a, a good level, but he just like, he does something with it that I find disappointing. Um, and I'm going to cite as an example, uh, Inception. Uh, so Inception, as we all know, takes place primarily in dreams. You can connect people to the machine and then they, um, you can infiltrate dreams. You can get information. Um, and uh, it, it looks and feels like the real world until you wake up and realize, oh, you were actually in a dream. Um, now partway through the film there, they're, they're finally start their like proper mission where they're trying to break into uh, Killian Murphy's dream so that they can dismantle his father's company. And, uh, they discover that Killian Murphy has been like trained by someone to basically protect his subconscious with beefed up security, uh, which, okay, fine, <laughs> whatever. I'll, t I'll, ex I'll buy that. Uh, but then they start fighting back and, uh, like at that point, um, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is like firing a gun at like these faceless soldiers on a roof. And then Tom Hardy walks up and he out of like midair pulls out a grenade launcher. And at that point, Inception should have just been about their team producing crazy dream weapons to shoot at the other side. Uh, I mean, am I not crazy and wanting to see that movie? No, no, no. And and that's um it's funny. I rewatched all of Christopher Nolan's movies um before Tenet came out and uh -huh. that Inception was one that I remember loving when it first came out and went into it of like, oh, this is one of the really good ones. And I I think it's still a fun movie, but it it worked less for me this time. And that is one of the interesting points I kind of latched onto was like I feel like for such a high concept premise it should be crazier than it is. Um, and yes. I, I, I think it gets back to this, these two things that we mentioned earlier. I think one, I think Nolan just views complexity as depth and as well as just, he's into Michael Mann movies. And I think 
he has he's always going to fall back into you know i i guess what i'm saying is i think he always views his stories very literal but he has to put these high concept premises onto them because mm-hmm. i think he thinks that they make them somehow more in depth but it's sort of the thing that's made me i don't know i I wouldn't say I'm quite sour on him at this point in life, but I think skeptical every time a movie of his comes out because it feels like he's resistant into just indulging in kind of being the Michael Mann fanboy or indulgent into doing, I'm going to do my sleek, stylish heist thriller or my like globetrotting spy movie and somehow it needs to be more, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I agree his his unwillingness to indulge in those. I mean, and that's that's why also why Bond works so well is that he does indulge in the the fantasy of being Bond. Um another great example I can think of in Nolan's filmography is The Pencil Trick in Dark Knight. Um that movie should have a million more pencil tricks. Uh I love that singular moment and I think Heath Ledger is actually quite good in the film, but uh again, he does not he introduces something and then he he snatches it back from you and says, you're not going to get this ever again. Um, which, uh, yeah, which it just seems, it just seems like a counterintuitive way of, uh, of treating your audience. And I know Nolan, of course, has his, his legion of supporters, but I don't think, um, I don't think, uh, I don't think his films deserve them to be honest. Well, we're going to get a lot of angry emails because, <laughs> because of our comments on this podcast. So buckle that's, up. That's fine. Please tweet at Jesse, whatever, you, <laughs> however you feel about this episode uh uh jake before we wrap up do you have kind of any last thoughts on tenant i i guess my last thoughts would be i think this is one of christopher nolan's weaker movies um but i think it's also a lot more interesting than i maybe gave it credit for the first time around and while it it doesn't work i think it is a fascinating kind of uh flex project from a a a major filmmaker kind of at the height of their power and i i don't know i i would have been fascinated to see i mean there are a million things more important than tenant that i would have rather happened this year because of coronavirus but i would have been fascinated to see what the just reaction to this movie would be normally because the sense i get is that this is him finally sort of like leaving the stratosphere of his audience you know the the point of like the comparison i think of is uh quentin tarantino whenever he talks about um the the grindhouse project that him and robert rodriguez did and you know i think he's glad he made that but i think he's very self-conscious and like yeah we, we asked a little too much of the audience and this was basically just like only we were interested in this and like no one and, and I think that, that that whole experiment is really, really fun. I don't want to degrade it on this podcast, but this seems like that version for Christopher Nolan of the movie where his audience, it seems, was not able to kind of like meet him at the level that he thought they should be going into this movie at. And I'm fascinating to see whether or not he does something to this scale that is this weird and this complex ever again and um i don't know well while not a great movie maybe not even a good movie i think it is a a fun movie to at least um experience and kind of get to the end of and be like what the fuck was that yeah yeah it's 
so it's it's very interesting that um you know you asked me to be on the podcast and uh so yeah my first thought was uh it's you know it's been a few months maybe i should revisit tenet so again it's it's now more widely available i watched it with subtitles um if if i had not been doing this podcast i'm not even sure i would have ever watched it again uh i have not seen interstellar since or dunkirk since they were both released in theaters because i i just haven't had the the need uh in seeing it again i did enjoy it a bit more um than this time around but uh I still think, yeah, it's uh, Nolan's quest just to just to you know outdo himself. Uh, my is just proven to be his downfall. So, uh, I, I you know if if you're interested, go see Tenant, um, or just uh, I honestly go watch Michael Mann films. Those are more fulfilling. Well, Jake, thank you for being on this week's edition of the latest, and we'll uh, we'll definitely have to have you you back. One of these weeks. Maybe to talk about a Michael Mann movie. Maybe maybe Michael Mann will finally make another movie. 